And welcome to For What Is Earth, your favourite, probably, climate change, environment and sustainability podcast. Definitely, by now, definitely. (laughs) Come on, have some faith. (laughs) I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week's topic um, is bittersweet, this one, because uh, I'm afraid to announce that it is the last episode in season two. But we've decided to celebrate it by raising a glass quite literally because yes, our topic... you can't see this but we are physically <laughs> raising glasses right now yeah this week's topic is getting sloshed sustainably we're talking about the environmental impacts of the alcohol industry this is something that we always said that we wanted to do i'm just going to jump in very quickly um uh, please drink responsibly absolutely of course i think we have to say that we do and um, we're going to pepper yeah. it through several times i think (laughs) absolutely drink responsibly especially if you're stuck at home at this time as we all are perhaps some of us are turning to our booze cupboard um i think it's more that um not so much turning to it desperation i'm just turning into it because i'm not making as many trips so i'm less likely to buy beer or cider when i'm out and i'm just like oh i fancy fancy drink on this friday evening but haven't picked up any beer or wine because it's not essential Mm. What, what have we got on the random shelf that people have left behind after parties? <laughs> exactly. We've all got ah, one of those Maria. shelves, to be fair. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and of course, we can't go to the pub or anything. And it's been such lovely weather. Oh, it has been beautiful. That all I want to do is sit in the garden and drink a cider. So um, anyway, before we get too sidetracked, Lloyd, what one good thing have you done this week? Um, I'll admit it's kind of a repeat um, of things I've already done. Um, but during the lockdown, obviously, you get your one bit of exercise a day so when i do go on walks i'm making sure i take my litter picker with me and i know i've said about my litter nice. picker before but it's um something that i forgot about in the first couple of weeks um because i was more focused on soaking up the rays as much as possible while i was out and about but um yeah it's, that's fair enough you know life in lockdown has been an adjustment it's it's taken us all a bit of time to find our new routines and, and figure out what we're doing so yeah well I, done. I, I feel like everyone's taken to it pretty quickly though Everyone's doing well. It does feel quite normal to me now, to be honest. Yeah, I'm probably going to... You said about going to the pubs and stuff. I think I'm going to avoid the pubs for quite a while after this ends because I'm just not going to feel comfortable around people anymore. It is weird. We watched someone kind of shaking someone's hand on TV the <sighs> other day and, and both of us went, oh, oh God. And I think our <laughs> the way we operate is, in a society is going to be so different. It just feels so unnatural watching people like hug or, or anything. I'm never shaking hands again. Our kids will look back at our TV and movies and be like, oh, they're within two metres of each other. They'll be like, that's oh God, what it used to be it? like back in my day. <laughs> back when we could still have picnics in the park. Yeah. It's all a bit it's all a bit weird, really. But I have to admit, I'm, I do quite enjoy um, working from home. So Yes. So this week, uh, as we said, we're talking... Ooh, my one good thing. Oh, go on. oh, yeah, of course. What's your one good thing? <laughs> uh actually mine is in a way a repeat as well um because it's so sunny again now that i'm i've started using the solar um panel battery pack charger again um so i've charged my phone for this skype using that nice that that, that's a throwback any uh avid listeners will will remember that one i'm sure (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. So we're we're partly solar powered for this episode, which is quite nice. So, cheers. Cheers. We're both having a drink to celebrate. What have you got in your glass or your bottle? Um, I found an old IPA, which someone left behind. Um, There were some other IPAs and beers, but they were all weird ones, like cherry infused and like just, I I don't know, they're all sorts of weird combinations. This is the only normal one I could find. That's why people left them behind. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, why? Why? I've got a Honey Midford's uh, dry cider, and Honey Midford's is local to me in Bath, so Very we good. thought instead of um, instead of going to buy cider on our Tesco shop, because of course I live in the West Country and things run on cider here, we thought, oh, well, we'll just have a look and see if any like local companies are still delivering, um, and we like a bit of Honey Midford's, you get it in all the pubs here anyway, and saw that they were still doing deliveries, so we ordered some from them just to kind of quite nice to feel that we're putting some money in local pockets as opposed to just in, in Tesco's. Absolutely. I, I saw in the news recently that um, a lot of pubs um, and brewers are really worried about what happens to everything they've brewed already because there's, you, you kind of imagine alcohol as just having like an unlimited shelf life almost, but there is, especially with craft beers and ales, there's a real mm. limit on how long you can keep them for. Oh, that's a good point. Well, some pubs are doing like deliveries or pickups and things of their stock. So, I mean, listeners, you could you could possibly give that a Google. See if your local is um, is doing something like that. It might be a really nice way to support them and feel like you're still part of the community in this quite isolated... Yeah, because you've also, um, which we'll probably get into later, you've also reduced your, your miles, your transport miles, I suppose, by buying local. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the big things, actually, with, uh, with how we propose that we move forward with our sustainable uh, drinking... <laughs> Yeah, tra- transport is one of the the biggest kind of problems in the uh, in the alcohol industry. It sounds interesting, doesn't it? Alcohol industry. You know, you talk about like the fashion industry and the food industry. The alcohol industry doesn't sound so natural, does it? Yeah, you, you really forget that it's just this absolute, well, just absolutely massive. It's a beast. network of corporations. Yeah, it's worth. Um, I don't know. I'm acting like I've got any numbers, like I did any research. Um, it's worth a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so and with every industry, um, it comes with its own environmental problems. We have done some research. There are actual problems. We haven't just tried to find a way to drink on the podcast, listeners. Sure. This is a, a very serious episode, of course. Um, <laughs> so, so we've touched on transport. Of course, you've got your transport miles, um, things literally having to be shipped, not just you know across counties, but you know around the world. Like tequila is only made in Mexico. As one particular type of alcohol has an insane footprint because it's drank everywhere, and quite a lot of the biggest companies that produce alcohol, again, you'll find them a bit like Coca-Cola. You'll recognise them everywhere you go. Um, and what does that mean? That just means that they've been shipped or flown all over the place. It just kind like of depends, food, just um, like our fashion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we, we talk. We, we've had a food. Uh, yeah, we've had like a food cool. episode. How's that IPA going? <laughs> really well, really well. Uh, <laughs> going straight to the brain. Uh, <laughs> we've had a, an episode previously on uh, food where we definitely focus on food miles, like buying in seasonal and local and stuff. But alcohol, yeah, it's not something I really thought about. But I suppose the flip side to that is that in the UK, especially, I think we tend to have a lot of in-country brewing. So you might think you're getting mm. like a Mexican beer or a Danish beer, but it's probably brewed in Manchester or Salford or something. I say Manchester or Salford, basically the same place. Um, 
works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So that puts us in quite a good stead, of course, doesn't it? And later we've got a whole list of brands that we uh, would kind of recommend. Um, and yeah, we've, we've found loads that are kind of produced uh, in the UK. Um, and they're not just big brands as well, which is nice. There's lots of, uh, you know, we, we do live in a, a country of um, entrepreneurs and possibly alcoholics and those two have combined to create quite an exciting um individual alcohol scene in the uk we're not we're certainly not going to be running dry anytime soon (laughs) so other problems the the environmental impact of alcohol generally will um you can you can almost split it between farming process and the manufacturing process yeah i suppose so the farming process is going to take into account the fact you're growing crops um to make these things so whether it's uh, mm. barley for beer grapes for wine sugarcane apples agave uh for tequila of course what's tequila oh okay good well that shows me up i hate oh, tequila well, yeah. so i'll well, blame that no agave for you um and then within that farming process to get a good crop you might recognize some of these big words from some of our previous episodes so things like fertilizer use water use <laughs> the irrigation for the crop <laughs> did you just um, call fertilizer a big word it's got four syllables. I've had <laughs> half a beer. So yeah, it's a really big word. Um, and then also biodiversity impact. Um, so perhaps in certain parts of the world, deforestation, yeah, maker or land use. Um, and then on the flip side, manufacturing process. So you are going to require a lot of energy, um, particularly mm. for heat, apparently. I didn't realise this. Um, well, if you're distilling. For distilling, yeah. And there's also a lot of water as well required. Um, so not yes, just in the growth of the crops, but also in a lot of the manufacturing processes. So the California Craft Brewers Association uh, says it takes 3.5 to 6 uh, gallons of water to produce one gallon of beer on average. Wow, that's quite a lot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so the vast that's majority of water isn't leaving the factory. Or it is, but through other means. I've got some more fun facts, or not so fun facts, depending on how you'd like to like to look at them. The Beverage Industry Environmental Round Table, which sounds like quite a fun table to be sat around, um, mysterious. estimate that to produce one 750ml bottle of liquor, um, it would create six pounds of carbon dioxide. And to visualise that beautifully, that is six giant exercise balls full of carbon dioxide. For how much wine? one bottle. One bottle Just of wine? For, no, liquor. Oh, liquor, sorry. But if it, I have got wine, I've got the wine stat. So the carbon footprint, apparently, of the average bottle of wine is 1,200 grams of carbon, which would be 2.6 pounds, so a few less giant exercise balls, um, and is roughly the equivalent to driving three miles in a small car. <laughs> Very loose facts, those ones. There you go. If, if you came here to know the impact of wine, we've produced so many different metrics of the wine impact. We've got it in grams. We've got it in... Uh, miles driven and we've got it in exercise balls you know everyone is a different kind we've of learner don't they? we've got different brains we need to visualize things in different ways we're just catering to the needs of our audience catering to the mobile yoga <laughs> practitioners <laughs> we're getting a bit off topic here um so so the producer of uh magna's cider um which is the cnc group they uh published a report called the drinks industry sustainability index trends report 2020 which won't make it onto the bestsellers list in waterstones but um it's the first report of its kind um should note it sort of covers the whole drinks industry so it's like soft drinks as well but i think a lot of the same trends and factors apply um they scored the entire beverage industry 
across eight areas. They included packaging, waste, water, energy, emissions. Uh, they scored them 4.8 out of 10. Oh, that's a bit subpar, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting because they said they found like pockets of um, industry good practice. So a lot of drinks companies, which we'll go on to later, are making improvements in their packaging um, and reducing mm. waste that way. But quite often the carbon uh, footprints um, and energy use is still quite high, especially when you get into like complex distillery processes. Talking about energy efficiency, um, Absolute in Sweden, the vodka brand that everyone will recognise, claim to be the world's most energy efficient distillery, apparently. But of mm. course, they're still huge and they're still um, supplying all across the world. So swings and roundabouts there, really. But um, quite a lot of brands are tackling, or brand, I don't know, distilleries are trying to adopt renewable energy um, into their practices as well to try and improve their score and, and become a, or at least appear to become a slightly more sustainable uh, alcohol provider. Yeah, um, Marston's, um, and I'm not advertising for them at all, but that happens to be the drink I'm drinking right now. They said last year they've hit um, their zero waste to landfill target two years early. Comes. Um, and apparently Excellent they, work. I, I don't really know what this marketing speak is, but they uh, brought supplier management in-house or something. But the interesting thing I found was they, they said they were focusing on staff engagement. So they weren't just necessarily looking at the production line stuff, but they were trying to encourage their staff individually to be conscious of making changes and focus on a cultural shift within the whole company. Um, and they said that, well, they said that they've reduced their water usage by 10% just through those measures. Fantastic. Mm. So one of the first things that I think people think of with packaging being bad in terms of beer is the plastic rings, isn't it? You yep. get all those iconic images of fish and turtles and seals stuck in the plastic rings that holds like a four or a six pack of beer together. So a couple of companies now are developing those plastic rings to be made out of something that's biodegradable. Yeah. So that will actually kind of, if it does find its way into the ocean, hopefully not cause quite so much damage. Carlsberg springs to mind because they did uh, glue, didn't they, instead? Oh, yes, that was good. Like yeah. sort of snap-off packs, yeah. Yeah, that was a good call um, and a very good marketing tactic, of course. Also on Carlsberg, they, um, I think last year they announced um, they were trialling like, something called green fibre bottles. Well, when you look at them, they basically look like cardboard bottles. Um, and my first thought was, how does that not just soak through? But apparently there's like an inner barrier or something within it. But for the mm, most got part... like a PET lining. Yeah, yeah. And they said they're, they're, well, they said they're fully recyclable um, and the sustainably sourced wood fibre. Um, Which sounds good. But my first thought with that was in the same way we, when we talked about recyclable plastics or biodegradable plastics, it sounds similar in that, yes, okay, the things that it's made of are recyclable. But is that actually going to happen? And do they require like specialist equipment in order to do them? That's true, because we did uh, way back in season one, wasn't it? We talked about the different uh, pros and cons of different recyclable materials. And we said that glass was nearly infinitely recyclable if you don't mm. colour it. Yeah, and that's one of the other debates as well. Um, it's really funny if you try and Google what's better, glass or cans. Mm. Um, there are people arguing passionately against both sides. Um, and again, like you said, glass can be recycled over and over and over. But the amount of heat that it takes to recycle, or if you were mm. to melt down the glass anyway, instead of just washing it out and reusing it, if you were to melt down the glass and create a new jar, the heat that that takes is absolutely mad. And in comparison, the energy cost of recycling a can is like minimal. It's, mm. it's so, so, so much smaller. Oh, that's cool. And then, of course, you've also, that plays into kind of transport costs as well, because if you're, because glass is so much heavier. 
So yeah. if you're transporting glass bottles or you're transporting a lorry full of cans, you can fit more cans in and it will require less fuel to transport. I suppose what you have to think about is what stage of that process we can um, address. So mm. glass, you say it takes a lot of energy, whether that can be addressed by simply a bigger renewable push and feeding into True. that sort of uh, cycle of sustainability and like a closed economy almost. Yeah, I mean, if you could nip down to your local cider farm and just go and fill up your glass bottles, that would be quite useful. I suppose in a similar way to how you would, you know, you sometimes kind of fill up your shampoo. Well, apparently in other countries, um, that that is m- more of a thing. So, I mean, this this is a stat from 1997, so I don't know how true that is. Um, wow. <laughs> but the article was written two years ago. So whether they did their research, I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spout it off anyway, like at my own knowledge. Um, so in 1997, at least, 2% of UK bottles were returnable compared to 99% in Denmark. Oh, wow. So you could return the bottles completely. Yeah, bottle recycling schemes, of course, as well. If you could um, get money off by returning your glass bottles or your cans or something, that's another way of getting mm. more people on board with such schemes. One of the things I noticed as well, if you are searching on the old interweb for um, sustainable wine or other things one of the top things that comes up is organic produce um because of course we have to address the land use and the amount of pesticides and fertilizers and things that can go into the land and we've discussed at length the problems with pesticides haven't we in uh, i guess our food episode yeah but it's actually it does mean that there are a lot of brands and a lot of companies that are doing organic produce as well uh, i think something we talked about yes yeah is the waste that can sometimes come from our coal production mm depending on um, what you're producing. So the example I've got here is that tequila produces a lot of waste from agave plants. I think it's like 10 times, because you have to like pulp the, the plants down. Mm. I, I, I think, what was it? It's was, it was like 10 times the stuff you use um, is thrown away. Um, and, and, and the stuff from agave plants in particular is quite acidic. Yeah, and that can get into the water and the soil and cause quite a lot of problems, which doesn't sound very good. Yeah, yeah which needs to be appropriate. Did you know, also, um, spirits, it takes more energy per ounce to produce than beer. But of course, you drink a smaller volume of spirits than you do beer in one sitting. Yeah, I've got um, something which says that, as a rule of thumb, higher alcoholic content means higher carbon footprint per litre as well. Ah, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. That's a good one. And and higher hangover as well, I imagine. <laughs> exactly. So it's a lose-lose for everyone, <laughs> really, isn't it? But what seems quite interesting is the alcohol industry seems like one that is already aware of these issues, uh, mm. more so than many others. And I think particularly because, okay, you've got massive brands, but you've got a lot of smaller breweries, craft breweries, and even big ones, actually, like Carlsberg, we mentioned, um, seem aware of the issues, particularly... What's interesting is that this is driven by an awareness of changing consumer demands and priorities. Mm. So quite often um, we can be quite down and say like, the, you know, personal change can go so far and then it's got to be you know, government change, etc. But it does seem like public pressure and public change of opinion is changing the industry. Mm. So brands rely, well, alcohol companies rely heavily on their branding and in an age where younger people are drinking less, they're putting more thought into what they drink. So traditionally, things like wine has had quite an easy time of 
advertising itself is sustainable if it wants to or it's placed more stock in being organic because you've got the images of the nice vineyards etc mm. and things like spirits have focused more on appealing to really nice lifestyles almost like trendy lifestyles yeah um can i still say that trendy i, I still say trendy that, but that doesn't mean that it's cool don't use me as a benchmark for that okay fair enough <laughs> 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 oh my god i'm becoming my dad um, <laughs> um even they are even the spirits uh companies are becoming uh are incorporating sustainability into their image mm. uh becoming fashionable so um one survey from 2019 said that 71 percent of people say that sustainability or renewable packaging is either quite or extremely important to them whereas 25% of that same group said it was important to have a luxury appearance so that demographic was more interested in sustainability than having a luxury appearance fantastic which is great because it's forcing it's forcing these companies to look at how they operate isn't it exactly I do question though the 29% that said sustainable packaging wasn't important at all like they're just like nah don't care well, they probably don't listen to this podcast. And similarly, another study I read, uh, which is a scientific study, so you can read well it. Well done. We do proper scientific research. Um, a thousand US beer drinkers have sampled, and they found that 59% were willing to pay um, extra um, for sustainably produced beer. Very nice. Which is very cool. So we always end on uh, kind of the things that you and I can do in terms of the kind of the episode topic. So we thought, obviously, while we're encouraging you to drink responsibly and, and moderately. Please drink responsibly. We thought we'd maybe pick some um, some brands or some companies that are doing good work that we want to celebrate and maybe you can look out for uh, and, and maybe think about supporting next time you include uh, alcoholic beverages in your weekly shop. Absolutely. Um, there are loads, by the way. We could not name them all because we found many. We'll, we'll try and post like summary lists and stuff we found on the internet of sustainable brands yeah, but, you, but as ever said you can definitely google some or to take a look um, a lot of the links you'll find will take you to american brands as well yes. um and i would say dig a little deeper and support more local um there's a there's a lot of english companies yeah yeah we, we, we've definitely found some but um what would yeah. you like to start with um what type of alcohol should we begin our list with can i please start with um a really cool one i found called kellogg's beer well they're basically yes. beers made from Kellogg cereals. <gasps> Tell me more. So they're produced um, by a brewery in Salford called Seven Brothers. Um, and they're made from grains uh, that were discarded during the cooking process at the Kellogg's Manchester factory down the road. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. So they take uh, rice-based flakes uh, that were either overcooked, uncoated or discoloured and would otherwise be thrown away. And they make uh, ales out of it. But the cool thing is different um, cereals will go into different ales. <laughs> oh, wow. So the cast oh, off like pale ale. Do you want to guess which Kellogg cereal that is? Cast, cast off, off pale ale. Oh, you're really going to put my Kellogg's knowledge to test. Like, I mean, is it just regular Kellogg's flakes? What are they even it's called? I don't rice know. Rice Krispies. Oh, they're Rice yeah. Krispies. They're a Kellogg's brand, are they? Yes. I'm really not on it with my yep, cereal. They are. They but... are. You need to submit to your... Corporate overlords. Um, <laughs> throwaway IPA is cornflakes. Ah. And Sleet Out Stout is made from Cocoa Pops. Oh, wow. Oh. I would not have guessed that. Nor would I. Very nice. 
I found a similar such company called Toast, who produce Toast Ale. Mm. And this is fantastic. They do the same thing. And this is all about using the same principle of taking a material that would be a waste product and instead turning it into something awesome. Um, So they make beer from old bread and old bread crusts and basically anything that a bakery, like the local bakeries, would ordinarily chuck out. And they can use that in the fermentation process to produce lots of different ales. And the other thing that's really cool about this company is they've made their recipe open source, which is awesome. So other people can learn from their methods. Um, whereas a lot of companies that like are only able to make money will guard their recipe, won't they? But I just thought that was really great that they just thought, nope, sustainability comes first. That's awesome. Let's all learn how to brew beer from toast. From a similar perspective, oh, I, I, I didn't write down the name. Um, I, I, I remember I saw there was a company in San Diego that makes drinks uh, or beers from the uh, waste from food banks, stuff that like no Ooh, one takes, nice. or I'm not sure if it's like a restaurant situation where they cook things and they use leftovers, but they use the leftovers from that. Um, I also found uh, a vodka called Black Cow Vodka. <gasps> yes, Did I love this one. one. I found that uh, we've yeah. read the same list, haven't we? Made in Dorset. It's made in Dorset from yeah. where I'm from. Um, using one ingredient, which is leftover whey from grass-fed cow's milk. Um, which is discarded in the cheese making process, and also, did you see the bit where it says it's filtered through coconuts or, or coconut shells? No. Oh wow, mm, that's cool. Fancy. No, I missed that, and that, that's brilliant. And that was one of a couple that we found actually. So okay, so we've moved on to vodka. Um, <laughs> can I shift spirits and move into the gin lane? You may. Yes, you may. My my personal favourite. Um, so there's there's loads of different gins, and a couple of them. Um, especially in the UK, do you know what the UK is really getting into? Like bespoke, small batch craft gin is becoming very cool, very expensive, but really I think nice. That's because like the government relaxed restrictions on breweries. Oh, or really? Something. So oh. they, I think before gin had to be produced at a certain scale, whereas now they've put it on the same footing as like craft ales and stuff. So it's become more profitable for people to open up small businesses. Oh, amazing! Nice. I believe, but I don't really know these things. Well, we've got Warner's Honey Bee Gin. These guys are up in Northamptonshire. They make small batch um, gin. And they are a partner. They've partnered with the Royal Horticultural Society to make sure that their farm protects bees. So they plant loads of wildflowers. All of their botanicals or most of their botanicals are grown on site. um, And they have a very pollinator friendly farm. The water they use in the process is from the spring that they have on site. And with every order, you get some pollinator seeds. Which is quite nice. And then they, they give you some seeds. They give you some seeds with your gin. Ah. Mm. So you can drunkenly throw them through your garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then reap the rewards a couple of weeks later. <laughs> and there's a, there's quite a few examples, actually, of, of uh, companies that have partnered with environmental or, or kind of associations and things. So Fatty's Gin. I mean, you've got me on the name. I'm there already. <laughs> Fatty's Gin is accredited by the Soil Association. And they're totally organic. And even the label they've printed on organic ink. Oh, that's cool. How, do, you want a, do you want a third gin? I've got one final gin, and then I'll yeah, leave gin. On. I do love gin. <laughs> uh, Ramsbury gin, which is produced in Wiltshire, is a really great example of a closed loop system. So, ah, a closed loop system, yeah. A closed loop system. <laughs> so they grow the wheat, and then everything that's left over from the gin production is then fed to the pigs that are on site. They've got forests on site as well, and they fell the wood in order to heat or provide the heat and energy that's needed during the gin distilling process. And they replant all of the trees as soon as they've felled them. And they use quince and juniper, which are also grown on site. And then with all of their the water that's kind of used, and once it's been used, 
they sort it all out and then return it to feed the wheat crop that will be used in the next batch. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, that's... Um, Not sponsored by gin. Goes to show that you don't have to have... I mean, these other companies that are using, you know, particular waste products are really cool, but you can just have a from-the-ground-up alcohol business that does it properly. Absolutely. What next? Where would you Where would you like to foray in the world of alcohol next? <laughs> there, there was one other one I saw, which was um, Scotch. Oh, okay. I don't know if you saw this one. It's uh, come. I think it's called Glenlivet. Okay. Oh, Glenlivet. Uh, they partnered uh, with another company um, and produced. Do you remember we were talking about? When was it? It must be on the plastics episode ages ago. We were talking about like the seaweed-based plastics. Oh or, yeah. Or, like, the, the, the seaweed replacement. It was these uh, seaweed-based materials that were see-through, and they just had like water in them, and you could like eat the whole packaging as well. Mm. Um, this company um, produced limited edi- limited edition cocktails uh, in this these capsules. Oh wow! I don't know if they're still doing it because apparently a lot of people made fun of them and said they'd look like uh, detergent capsules. Oh but yeah! I applaud the effort personally. I like that. That's innovative. That's different. Mm. I'd give that a go. That would be quite funny. Yeah, I suppose the only thing is you kind of want to sip a cocktail over a while rather than like digest a whole pod. It's a taste <laughs> explosion, isn't it? Unless the whole point is you kind of just like pop it and put it into the glass rather than need like a... Well, that seems like a total waste bottle. of time. That's a novelty for novelty's sake. Yeah, but then you can just like ship loads of these without needing the bottle, the packaging. And you okay. just like burst the thing on the other end. You'd have to really Maybe. perfect your technique, wouldn't you? I'm, I can see myself mm. just getting cocktail everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd, how do you... Um, we know you like an ale and a, and a beer yep. and a cider um, and everything else. How do you feel about a bit of wine, a bit of vino? I love a bit of wine. Yeah? I'm, I'm very non-fussy when it comes to alcohol, I'll be honest. Clearly. So, for anyone else that is um, currently adding wine to their Tesco order on lockdown, um, I've come up with a few options that you could be looking for or things at least to think about because wine is one of the easiest drinks to know exactly where it came from because it's mm. it's like very prestigious to explain your wine region isn't it you don't get that on spirits yeah yeah exactly to tell yeah. you exactly where it was where it was produced so i'd recommend if we're looking at cutting down like our transport emissions buying new old world wine so that those are the wines that are produced kind of france or in europe so quite not locally but more locally than a lot of like New Zealand or South Africa or California. Unless, of course, you're a listener in South Africa and New Zealand. Oh, yes, true. I'm assuming that we of don't course. have international <laughs> listeners, which we surprisingly do. There's a few of them out there. Um, yeah, have a, have a look at Where's Local uh, and pick up some. But you can, you can if you are an English listener, um, you can get English wines that apparently are actually quite good. We've never had a good reputation with wine, but I have been reading up and we're doing much better. You and can get some good wines, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're winning quite a lot of awards these days because um, apparently our climate's not too dissimilar to the Champagne region in France. So actually, Oh, is it not? Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> darling, darling. darling. <laughs> not that I've tried any um, British bubbly, I don't think. Um, so there's a great website called Grape Britannica, which I'm shouting out purely because of the name. Um, I get it. I, I get the pun. <laughs> it makes uh, sense. And there's also a website called vintageroots.co.uk, which focuses on not only English, but also organic wines. And some of them are quite expensive. But if you were looking to go organic, that's that's got some great options. But one last fun fact, not on an English wine. Um, in California, <laughs> there is a wine called, I'm going to pronounce this horribly, I'm sure. I'm going to call it Chandon. Sure. How do you think 
<laughs> yeah, we are going with it now. How do you think they deal with pests on their vineyard, Lloyd? Like, go as abstract as you like. Um, they lay out a nice welcome table for them. They bring them in. Um, they sit them down. They say, look, guys, we know you've got a job to do, but so do we. Um, and they just kindly talk to them and just explain the situation and then ask them to fly off. Maybe suggest some other vineyards next door that they're competing with to go to. That is, that's quite a wonderful tale. I love the image that you've just you conjured up as, out of nowhere. Be as abstract as you like. Absolutely. Well, it's not quite that. What they do instead is they use owls to protect their grapes, to scare off any pests. Through their wisdom. Absolutely, yes. They just they just project their wisdom on the grapes and the grapes flourish. <laughs> uh, no, they're supposed, they're supposed to be um, a, a very natural form of pest control so they don't need to use uh, too many chemicals. That's very cool. Which is very cool. So I just thought that was a fun little image of a nice vineyard guarded by large owls. With large talons. I think that's quite enough from us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fine. <laughs> so we really enjoyed this season. We have. I'm really sad that it's had to come to an end, but it's, it's time has come. And also we're both um, just in- incredibly busy at the moment. So we're going to take, yeah. take a bit of a pause. It turns out a, a lockdown has increased both our workloads. <laughs> somehow, somehow. So we're going to bid you adieu and we'll see you later on in the year for season three. Can you believe it? We're going to be on season three of this nonsense. I, no. <laughs> not in the sleep. oh can i do a quick shout out actually of course i'll do a quick shout out actually to um beth williams who is a teacher um she said she listens to our podcast in the car and then uh gives it to her students to discuss as like extracurricular stuff to listen to goodness me i hope she doesn't give them this episode what age students are we talking no. um i think like gcc students okay i hope so anyway because yeah otherwise disregard this episode please well that's fantastic how, how lovely oh yeah it's wonderful and it's but also slightly terrifying to think we're shaping in some small way shaping the minds of <laughs> the future generation that is terrifying that is terrifying who knew a year issues. ago when we dreamt up this that this is the way that it would go um speaking of shout outs actually um i do have one as well can i just say a big thank you to uh, dr pamela styles who has listened absolutely to the yeah. podcast and then direct messaged me on Twitter to offer me some of her seed bank and has genuinely oh, posted no me some vegetable seeds for me to use in my garden because she's been listening to my growing obsession with gardening and veg- my vegetable patch. So thank you so much. I'll, um, I'll post some pictures of them uh, when they grow, but that, I thought that was really sweet and that was very kind of her. So thank you so much for loving the podcast and for sending That's me beautiful. some seeds. Oh, and also, um, thank you to all you guys, because uh, in the last episode we said we were putting together like a bit of a list um, for ways to enjoy nature in, um, during lockdown. Mm. And we had some really nice suggestions to add to that list, which I'm going to keep adding to as I find things as well. Um, yeah, it's really good. I-, I hope people found you know a little bit of enjoyment from it. Definitely. Yeah, stay safe, everyone. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. Stay home, be sensible, wash your hands yes. for 20 seconds regularly and follow all of the wonderful government advice. And um, we'll see you in a while, I suppose. Soon. Uh, in, in, in a while soon. In yes, a, see you soon in a while. <laughs> see you soon in a while. <laughs> Fantastic. Bye. Bye.